you can't shame the shameless, right? Like, you can't shame Donald Trump. You can't shame Tucker Carlson. They don't right. have any shame. So the culture has shifted to trying to shame people that, you know, are more susceptible to shame and that are, like, can actually, you know, like, feel the ramifications of the actions, right? Mm-hmm. Like, aka. And that, like, does literally translate to just, people like, kind of right small time. Yeah, small time people on platform. So, okay, so we're just going to jump into it, but welcome back to I'm the Villain. Um, We're doing another solo pod. We didn't really set a topic beforehand, so I'm going to, you know, name it something afterwards. But yeah, we're just going to kind of talk about the stuff that we've been thinking about. (laughs) Yeah, this was, we just haven't had a solo pod in a while, so we really wanted to get one in because the energy is different when you, when it's just us two. And also, I think this is like a really good excuse to just show off my new sound quality i ended up getting the new mic and now i probably sound a similar quality to isabel because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> we have the same mic yeah but anyways let's just get into it i was watching this video or this youtuber her name is Lindsay ellis i don't know mm-hmm. if you've heard of her but she does like like video essays essentially like she's like a media critic and like will like do a video essay on like why rent is a bad movie or like you know yeah. whatever yeah. And they're generally well prepared and really thought out. And like with nuanced takes that are like, you know, considerate of like equity and diversity and like the whole things. Like she has good lenses for those kinds of things. Yeah. And she was recently canceled, you know, like in like the most stupid like internet, you know, yeah. like Republican way of talking about it. <laughs> yeah. Um where she, and she made she made a, um, an hour and 40 minute video about it and damn and she was like she explained the situation and then she was like all right if you guys want to cancel me like these people like put together a list of like anything bad she had ever done in the last 15 years literally right and wow. and she was like okay let's go through each one of these then and like i'll talk to you about the context of this and like yeah if it's bad i'll apologize and like happily so but if it's like taken out of context or if it's like literally just false, I'm not going to apologize for that. And you can go fuck yourself. Yeah. <laughs> um, and but the the tweet that got her into hot water was that do you do you know this movie that just came out that Disney just put out? It's like Raya and the Last Dragon or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she was like, you know, I think that um, there should be a name for this genre that like Raya and the Last Dragon falls into of like movies that are so like obviously inspired by Avatar the Last Airbender television series you know like and like I haven't seen Raya and the Last Dragon but apparently it's like you know kind of like deity gets woken up after thousands of years of being frozen they like go to different nations to solve conflicts like it's very very clear clearly like Avatar on the face right sure and she goes to sleep and she wakes up to like like the stop asian hate mob had like t- had like completely filled her mentions and people were like you're just saying that all asian media is the same and this is why like this is the same line of thinking that has led to like the spike in asian violence in the u.s and like you are like contributing to hate crimes and like 
it's not the same just because they both feature Asian characters and, you know, like, just like very clearly not what she was getting at. Like, you know, she was like, I think if you like do a read of this tweet with the most malicious like intent that you could ever imagine that I maybe could have, then maybe I could have been getting at that. But like, it's so clear to me what I was trying to say. Yeah. It's such a leap. Right. And then, and (laughs) you know, it's just like, it's kind of a deep dive into like what cancel culture has become and like, and like, you know, how it's like not about, it's not about like getting someone to apologize. It's not about, you know, like, like getting someone to, you know, correct in problematic behavior. It's about like, in grouping and outgrouping. Yeah. And it's about like getting clout on the internet and like beginning yeah. to say that you participated in like the takedown of Lindsay Ellis, you know, right. and like how like, wow, y'all, she's been problematic for years. And yeah, we're slowly weeding you know, out the, the terrible people on the internet. Like we're fighting the good fight. Yeah. And there's this really interesting point where she was like, you know, the culture has very much shifted to like, we like people realize pretty quickly that you can't shame the shameless, right? Like you can't shame Donald Trump. You can't shame Tucker Carlson. They don't have any shame, right? You know, like they, so the culture has shifted to trying to shame people that, you know, are more susceptible to shame and that are like, can actually, you know, like feel the ramifications of the actions, right? Mm -hmm. Like AKA, and that like does literally translate to just like kind of small time, yeah, small time people on platforms, right? Yeah. And she was like, I'm a C-list YouTuber, dude. Like, I like, I'm, <laughs> I have the 21st, I have the 21st thousandth most subscribed channel to the, <laughs> you know, like to, like on YouTube. Like, I, I do not have this much clout, but right. like, there's been like this small group of like alt-right kids that have been following me for a long time trying to get me canceled. And like, this time they, you know, this time it worked. Yeah. Um. Except it didn't work because, like, what does canceling even mean? You know, whatever. Right. Um, so I thought that, you know, that was very interesting and kind of like, I mean, we live in like a very, very overcorrecting culture right now. Yeah. I don't think, you know, I'm not going to like Republican talking point it up and say that, like, this is what's killing America because it's obviously not, right? Like, but I do think that, you know, like, people at some point, and I think this will happen. I don't think it's like an indictment. I think they're like we are gonna the pendulum is swinging. We are we are gonna settle somewhere in the middle. I think. You yeah, know? I mean, I do think it. Uh, I think that the whole like what's ruining America is maybe not true of cancel culture, but I think it's more true of the larger umbrella that cancel culture is under, which is like basically people only like paying attention to headlines, the lack of nuance, everything being black and white. That is something that feels more to me like a a like force that is really actually tearing a lot of our you know civ- civic and just social fabric apart you know mhm yeah i mean yeah and what is that phenomenon is it like like the overflooding of news or is it cuz i you know like i i kind of don't buy that people are lazier or whatever you know i think that People have well, I think it's the, the... not necessarily that people are lazier. I think it's that the internet is rewiring our brains. For sure. 
And I think part of that rewiring is one that lowers our attention span. And if we have a lowered attention span, I think we have less tolerance for sitting through a nuanced argument for something more yeah. and more attraction to like headlines and sound bites. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And that like, yeah, I mean, we, we did a social dilemma episode, right? Like mm -hmm. we know that these platforms are optimized to get us to react to things and like, right. and it's like, you know, these platforms will never really be trying to maximize for fact checking or for like those kinds of things because they don't really want you like that would slow down their engagement if you read every single article that came across your timeline you right. know like right. and Lindsay ellis kind of got into this in her video as well where it's like she's like i deleted my twitter and like the whole thing like kind of blew up even more because she ended up del deleting her twitter right yeah which you should never do as a reaction to getting canceled like it's just a kind of a bad idea wait but why exactly just because, just because like, it makes it seem like you actually people, were in the wrong yeah and the, it, it like feeds the narrative of like of like instead of people then were like instead of like facing her racist past Lindsay ellis just deleted her twitter because she like couldn't even say sorry you know got it like instead of just saying sorry and then her point was like if any of you were actually following me or cared about any of this i have like so 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 clearly retracted a lot of like 80 percent of the things you brought up i've already apologized for like yeah. many times you know mm -hmm. and but there is no like assuming best intentions right but like the plat the point is that the platform doesn't want you to you know like outrage is what drives the the retweets and the likes and the engagement right and twitter wants you to dogpile on somebody and like that's why trending is a thing right like right you can go and see what people are talking about right now to see if you want to jump in on this conversation right and that also kind of goes back to the whole edward snowden thing about per their everything being a permanent record when you have this this system where everything is like just there permanently then there isn't it kind of feeds into this aversion to the notion of personal growth because you can see a snapshot of a person exactly as they were in like 2008 or something you know yeah yeah I, and you you know i think there's a good argument that you shouldn't be able to right sure you know? like you know i mean we literally society does change which is a good thing which means that people who are kind of like pretty norm core like comedians or something in the early 2000s would like all be canceled right like yeah and i i mean i do to be fair i do think we see we're not seeing like a large scale cancellation of comedians just mm -hmm. the ones that like have done gross shit and they should be sure right but i mean i i really love stand-up comedy like mm -hmm. really really love stand-up economy i watch you know i've been watching specials on hbo since like you know for literally since i was a child yeah and i think it's such an important art form but i at the same time i know you know three or four of my like kind of most left friends are like oh no i like really really can't do stand-up comedy because there's too many problematic points in it you know too many problematic jokes and once again, I don't think that people should like subject themselves to things that, you know, like it's make it's, them upset, at, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. At the, at the end of the day, it's like a fucking stand up comedy special. So it doesn't really matter. But like, I think it speaks to a, you know, it speaks to like 
a lack of ability to like satire and make light of things, which I feel like is a really, really, really good tool for processing the actual thing, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have been listening to Tiffany Haddish's book, The Last Black Unicorn, and she talks about how like literally comedy for her is the the safest space in the sense that you she she does have a lot of shit that has happened to her like she grew up in the foster care system and she was homeless and she's had you know abusive boyfriends and ex-husbands and like all kinds of shit has happened to her and she's like this is like literally the only tool that i have or like the most useful tool that i have to process those things in a way that is is just most helpful to me right and like I feel like, yeah, if she were to talk about a lot of those things in a non-stand-up comedy context where she's just talking to her friends, it would totally be kind of a different dynamic, right? Where Yeah, I think a lot of yeah. comics do it because they, you know, like, you know, they, like, enjoy the anonymity of it. They enjoy, like, sort of being able to pour themselves into, like, this, like, very structured performance and, like, people just, like, receive it, right? Like, there isn't really feedback. Yeah. Except there started becoming feedback and that's why we see, like... <laughs> There's like a really big, a big trend of comedians, like especially really, really big ones like Kevin Hart or Dave Chappelle. Now, if you go to their shows, you have to lock your phone in a pouch. Oh, what? Wait, wait, what? Oh, you mean like if you go person, if you go in person, you like. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. If you go in person, like you, you know, which obviously doesn't happen anymore, but will probably happen at some point. I was like, I couldn't even conceive of that. (laughs) Yeah, there are. Yeah, there, you know, part of the like coming in is they like make these sealable pouches that are yeah. like sealed via Bluetooth and you have to like submit your phone oh, when shit. you come in. Yeah. And it's because, you know, I mean like the internet is like very, very good at like just taking out of context clips and then persecuting them for it. And imagine if like the internet had access to a whole special, like of a comedian's tour before they, you know, af- after their first stop. Right, mm-hmm. it would be pan. It would be pandemonium. It would like kill the stand-up comedy industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm surprised that they, that people don't do that with basically all live shows now. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, I don't know. I, maybe a musician's. Uh, what's it called? What's the word I'm looking for? I mean, a musician's motivations are different than a comedian's. You know. There's well, I guess like, it's less about it for a musician. It's almost the opposite. It's less about it being the first time you hear that thing, because like actually a lot of a lot of the time, once you're seeing it live, the whole point of it is that it's like the hundred millionth time you've listened to that thing. Yeah, and you right? want like you, it's it's promo of itself, right? You want dope videos of you like doing the thing and people enjoying themselves. Right. Exactly. And you know, like I do want to say again, like I I am generally not for, you know, like the scathing critique of cancel culture and like and like you know like it's not it's not what's ruining the world but it is i think a symptom of an internet era that is like going to be kind of hard for us to to negotiate i was talking to my mom about the show because she's like the one person i know who listens to every episode you know what i think will be the true arbiter of when we have perfect equality in hetero parenting is when the trope about like oh of course like you know my mom listens to my show is applicable to both moms and dads yeah that's true you know what i mean yeah and (laughs) 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 
I'm thinking about like whether or not I would listen to my kids' shitty podcast, right. you know. Um, but I think and your that's mom... like the true mark of whether someone loves you unconditionally. That's right? true. But I think your mom like doesn't she like the show? No, she does like the show, but also like you know that trope is almost like it's almost irrelevant whether they like it it's just like they're just doing like somebody who will just do this thing and consume this thing just because it's about you and that you're doing it you know what i mean yeah of like you know every if i I feel like every person in who has some kind of like media slash performance based thing has like a thing like that where they're like oh of course my mom like watches all my comedy specials or of course my mom whatever it is right yeah or like she's in the audience or whatever yeah exactly but like you don't you literally don't hear people make that joke about their dads. I don't, at least. Yeah, mostly not. <laughs> it's just not, a th- right? And so it's just sort of like, why can't we start living in a world where the dads are also just listening to your shitty show regardless just because they love you? Yeah. I think we're heading in that direction, you know? Like, yeah, I- I've been thinking about this a lot recently. And I really, I mean, I think that we've talked about this on the show before. I really do think that like the the parenting styles of the millennial generation versus our parents is just going to be so starkly different. Like I think it's like mm-hmm. you know and this this may come off as like an an entitled, you know, millennial kind of like special snowflake syndrome, but like our parents sucked so bad, right? Like really 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 sucked. Um and I feel like we've made such monumental strides as a, as a society, right? Like I know that this that that it's important to keep in mind that not everyone thinks the same way that we do, but like I feel like in general, right, like dads loving their sons and like showing emotional vulnerability is like super like it's very very much lauded now, you know, mm-hmm. and was not the case with our parents, right? So like I really do, oh, totally. I really do think that the you know like the sort of like building like snowball effect of you know like generational wisdom is like i feel like i feel like we're adding a lot to the snowball <laughs> in yeah, our yeah yeah anyway yeah i mean that was uh, anyway that was just a, a side comment of mine but like but anyway my mom was talking about how she was listening to my you know through th- through like you know all the episodes and she was like yeah all of these people on your show i think are really like you know correctly pointing out like that we have all these problems with the system, but she's like, I don't necessarily feel like we have it, uh, a strong sense of like, okay, like why is, for example, like, you know, the U S like this when other countries aren't. And like, you know, is it just literally that like, you know, Europe is more homogenous and like, you know, we just are really not able to control a lot of these factors. And like, is it, is it just is it really true that basically we're just going to have to like be cynical and there's not really a lot of of effect that that small people can have on these causes of these like systemic issues i don't know i mean uh, this and this drastically reminds me of a conversation i was recently having with my roommates about whether or not america is like the most progressive country or whatever did people think it was the most progressive country I feel like I err on the side of, like, America is very progressive, especially considering, like, you know, its age. Mm-hmm. Um, we're a pretty young country. But aren't young people supposed to be more progressive? Uh, I don't know. I mean, like, <clears throat> I don't know if that's how it translates to countrydom. Like, I feel like, <laughs> <laughs> like, 
you know, maybe it's... I feel like you have less time to get entrenched parties in the exact same way, perhaps, than if you have, like, a country that had empires and dynasties and shit like that. Yeah. Fair enough. I think that's a good point. Regardless, obviously, we're not talking about one problem right now and, like, whether it's uniquely American. Um, mm-hmm. The first thing that pops in my head is, like, racism or whatever. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um which I think American racism is very unique. And I think other countries have like their own like unique forms of racism that like are probably, if not more, like just as if probably as malicious as ours, if not more, you know? Yeah. Um, like French just passed that like hilariously racist law and um, against Muslims, you know, if you're like, if you're, if you're younger than 18 and a woman, you're like, it's illegal for you to wear hijab. I think that, we haven't done a thing that like is like th- as overtly racist as that in a long time. I could be I wrong. I think the the, the I think the most ban. prominent example is like the drug laws. Yeah, the drug laws were hel- right? were hilariously racist. Right, they seem pretty explicitly racist in my opinion. Yeah, um, but that was in what the seventies, eighties. Well, I mean, I think people would also argue the voter suppression laws that are going on right now, right? Yeah, but. So obviously, yes, these are racist, and I want it to be very clear that like the, all these things are racist. <laughs> um, but do we have a law that's like explicitly like that feels so like on the face, not even trying to hide it? That French law I'm talking about, just like so oppressive, you know? Mm-hmm. Like it's literally like if you are under eighteen, you cannot. It feels almost like just like apartheid type like, yeah you know if it's you're just black like, you can't come in this restaurant exactly it's like it it like i feel like there aren't laws as many laws on the books in the u.s that are like if you look like this or do the or or are part of this minority you can't do this thing that's important to you you know mm-hmm. um in fact i think we have like pretty few laws in general that are like if you're part of this demographic we can do this to you you know mm-hmm. except for like prisoners i think we have a lot more laws like that that are uh, kind of about poor people as opposed to being about race for sure and like i and like i said want to be very clear like systemic racism and oppression is still so huge in america and i think that part of the reason is because it's like kind of subversive in america it's like pretty subversive in american culture and that's how you know republicans and white people like are like how could we be racist you know like whatever so maybe it's even more Maybe it's even more destructive in the in the subversive way than it is in the like oppressive way, but or in the like subversive meaning like just like having it be more subtly about yeah race, I think like, that like suppression laws yes exactly like every single example of like a, a set of laws that we can think of right now in the U.S. of like not giving water to people in line exactly or something like voter suppression laws um like law tax laws whatever all of these things we know to be racist because they perpetuate a systemically oppressive system. But I think that the Republicans get to say, why is requiring a voter ID racist? Like, is it, doesn't that sound reasonable to you? You know, like, yeah. Yeah. And, or like why, you know, why you have is- to go through multiple logical leaps to be like, okay, but like not logical leaps, but like, you know, you have to go through a whole set of explanations to be like, okay, well, the reason why the long lines are going to affect black people more is because the yeah. places that have fewer voting booths are the ones that have majority black population. Like you had to go through this whole exactly. thing to get to the why it's racist. Exactly. Right? And like I said, maybe that's more destructive. 
Um, yeah. So I don't know. That isn't really an answer to your, like, I don't think your mom was looking for us to answer the question of like, whether or not these are uniquely American things and or like, can the little person do something? But yeah, I mean, I think that they're fundamentally like not answerable questions, but I do think that to the extent that people who are like us have any power. And I think that we're pretty like solidly in the median of how much power we have because we're not super rich and we're also not super poor. We're like pretty much, I think it's basically in my opinion, like your ability to affect the change is, is basically just proportional to your, (laughs) how much money you have. Yeah. Cause like that just determines how much time you have. It turns, you know, it determines all these things. Right. And even in the, in the case of like the person who started this movement or whatever, like that Mm -hmm. person didn't have any power until, a bunch of people decided that they agreed with that person and started a movement and even then that's and then they have a platform yeah and even and even then like probably that singular person still doesn't have that much power you know like even like you mm-hmm. know colin kaepernick right like he has like done a lot to bring racism to like a com- like as to the forefront of conversation in america but right. like you know what is what exactly can he do right Besides, right, exactly. Like, get and Nike like, to pick him up or whatever. I just, I've been thinking about a lot of things through this lens of like, you know, what, like, of power, right? As I just tend to do, like, that tends to be often my default lens is like power and capitalism. And like, I was watching this documentary called Mind the Gap that uh, is about, ostensibly is about skateboarding, but then basically winds up being about just like domestic violence, basically. Yeah. Um, amongst his friends and like he has a friend who's also an abuser and like he talks to him about like you know why is he doing this and stuff like that and i and it really struck me as this like oh my god like i am really in this bubble of like i obviously don't know super rich people who have like houses in the hamptons or whatever but i also don't know people who are on the other side of the spectrum who are like in such desperate situations where like they and everyone they know has some kind of relationship with like a with physical abuser yeah with like trauma or whatever right and trauma, right? <clears throat> I mean, I don't know if that's necessarily true because, like, I don't know. Like, you don't have to answer this, but, like, were you beaten, like, as a kid? Like, I, I don't know. I don't, people don't talk to this about me, to me about this kind of stuff most of the time. Yeah. Right? I mean, not real, not a lot, you know? Like, I yeah. got, like, maybe, like, five. No, I probably got, like, 20 whoopings throughout my entire childhood, right? Which, like, is not. Like, that would you many. consider it, like, on the, on the level of abuse? No, I don't. But, like, right. but. Yeah. <clears throat> I think that there's a really, really large and I think compelling movement right now to consider any like any any, any physical any physical touch on your child as abuse. Yeah. Um, right, right, right. And I think that like, but I think that in my head, uh, I was still very, very motivated by like fear of getting beaten. You know. Right. And, right. um. And I actually think that that is not in line. I think that, like, I think that a lot of, I think the scholarly thing is, like, if you beat your kids a lot, it will make them, like, one, immune and not afraid of beating, and two, like, more violent, you know? I think probably because I was beaten so infrequently that, like, I was, you know, I was, like, avoiding, because I really hated the, like, ten, the ten times it had happened before in my life, and, but if it happened to me all the time, I would have probably done yeah listening to yolanda's podcast putting kids in that you know fight or flight mode literally changes their brain chemistry such that they're like less able to function when they're stressed out and like it has all of these knock-on effects yeah right well, the whole shtick it's just like a, yeah a very right. negative thing. so it's definitely bad but i i do i i mean i did 
like there are people in my family that are known abusers, you know, and like right, and like my mom, you know, I think maybe you should beep that out. <laughs> Here, yeah. I'll just I'll just re-say it, like yeah, and you know, people very very close to me, like in my close family circle, have been victims of domestic violence and like have had like children birthed out of like domestically violent situations and you know i do come from like a family of single parents right like Mm -hmm. right so and that was common for me right and like right and for and for a lot of people that i knew and then i when i got kind of later into like late elementary and middle school i was like oh like a lot of these like richer white people you know still have still live in like a two-parent household and have like kind of the more Mm -hmm. idyllic thing and that was something that i did yearn for as a kid you know right right and so like yeah i mean i've just been thinking a lot about how a lot of based on like you know this guy's documentary it really feels like a lot of abuse is born out of a desire to have power for people who basically feel like they don't have any power in a system that like you know keeps them poor and like they don't they keep losing their job like that kind of thing like it feels like well, at least I can, like, have this kid that I can kind of beat the shit out of. Like, I don't think that's actually, like, the the logic running through their heads, right? But they're like, okay, this is, like, a mechanism for power. Yeah, right? I mean, I think that, yeah, it's, like, you get to feel powerful. And a lot of these right. times, like, you know, these might be, for people in situations, it might be one of the few situations where they've ever gotten real power over something, you know? Right. And, and that combined with, you know, the environmental sort of influences, like everyone else, all of my friends that have kids beat their kids. I was beat as a kid. And just like Yolanda said, people have this like mentality of like, oh, I was beat as a kid and I came out fine. And like, but you probably didn't come out fine. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, so what was, was this person, like going back to the documentary that you watched, was the person that was an abuser, was this kind of like, like the, were these the contributing factors like poverty and like violence as they grew up were growing up and stuff oh like for that? sure for sure yeah i mean it was just like you know like and and having a lack of respect for women and like you know all kinds of stuff yeah. like that did this person seem and, like sympathetic or were they like, like no this is why i do it and i like this i think it's fine i don't think he like ever admitted to it necessarily on screen well he did kind of like you know you know he's abuser because like both he and his like girlfriend who he was abusing were very open to like talking to the guy who was making the documentary and it's really sad because he started making the documentary when he was 14 years old so like you see this other guy who's like his friend from like when he was 14 right Uh and he doesn't like start being abusive until he's like you know older yeah but it's just like you totally see how he just like is so disempowered and like they both have to like work so many like long hours and they have a baby together and you're just like yeah this really sucks and like obviously i wouldn't make the decision this guy's making but it is such a like they're just in this this they're they live in like rockford illinois which is just like you know a, a town that is just like you know doesn't have a ton of like jobs and and it just feels very bleak yeah you know it's a very it's kind of a, a very bleak situation right right and it's and i've just been thinking so much about how like a lot of the systemic change like if it is at all possible for the average person to like you know use their power whether it's consumer power or you know 
power over what they eat or like whatever it is, right? To try to affect change in the system, it's gonna require people who are relatively comfortable to believe in those things in order for the system to fundamentally change, yeah. right? That compounded with like the comfort and with that and the comfort with these people that are in positions to, you know, use their power for good, like as you pointed out many times on the show, often like to make affect change often involves actually losing a lot of their power. Yeah. And like all of this stuff, like racism, like that comes down to power, like, you know, gu gun control, like whatever it is, right? They're all just like functions of power. And it's just, it does seem really hard to me to envision, even like, you know, amongst the people that I know and like and kind of agree with me on values and stuff. We all know the meat industry is bad. We know fast fashion is bad. Like we've, you know, that's like the kind of the, the, ignorance is bliss like you know curse of of you know education and like you know understanding how these systems work right yeah. there's so many shows like you know hasan minaj's like patriot act that's like literally just based on telling you how shitty like the video game industry is how shitty like cruise ships are like whatever like you know you can do an expose on like almost any industry and figure out that there's something fucked up about it yeah right and then you know and like we get to that point and like both in this show and in general where you just feel like mm -hmm. overwhelmed and kind of paralyzed right because if everything sucks so bad <laughs> then you know like what the fuck am i what what am i even gonna do you know yeah but i but for some reason i still feel super optimistic because of people like yolanda like talking about how like yeah if you are most disenfranchised in the system you have literally no option but to feel like you can do something and try to organize and try to get people to change the system yeah. because like i think i think the I, I also feel optimistic and i think that it comes from you know like coming back to the thesis of this pod right i think it really does come from our generation like i think that like i see and we have talked to and like have seen a swelling of just like seemingly like good people or like people that recognize the flaws in the world that like just really want to do something about it and people like having the ability to specialize in these topics that are really like important to them or whatever you know and these ideas just sort of gaining more traction so i think that like that's why i feel optimistic but i don't know is that does that ring true for you yeah, I mean, totally. Like, we're all just these little ants, and we're like building this <laughs> ant hill, right? And we're doing our like whatever our roles are, right? But I do think that society is still, like you said, like we're progressing, right? We're getting like farther, yeah, along, and I, and I in think, terms of combating these systemic problems every year, right? Yeah, and I do think that I have a, like a pretty, I have a pretty viscerally negative, like in my soul, reaction when. I talk to like people that are very doom and gloom about the future of the world, you know, like, mm -hmm. um, and I mean, I'm dating someone like this. I'm dating actually multiple people like this that are very like, <laughs> that are very like, you know, the world like is we're fucked and it's never going to get better. And I do think like, yeah, I have a very, very like it, it, it or, like generally like irks me and kind of annoys me to hear that being said, you know? And I like, I don't, maybe it is because I like perceive it as like a kind of like hands in the air, like giving up kind of notion. Um, and that's exactly what the system wants you to do, yeah. right? Like playing into that pessimism literally is the foundation of that system. Yeah. Like that's what they want. Right.
um dude i feel like we're in late stage pandemic man i really like i i've gotten vaxxed you've gotten well like i mean within my circle i feel like everyone that i care about has gotten their first vaccine at least yeah yeah i think this will be a, a good summer <laughs> I, <laughs> and like my house is like gearing up to like loosen all the restrictions like it's gonna be good so that is uh, like while we you know while we're talking about optimism about the world i'm also optimistic optimistic about our next yeah you're like going six to months. bonnaroo right oh i i saw that mark rubier is going to be at, Bar at bonnaroo yes i i and mark rubier will be at bonnaroo hopefully we can talk <laughs> <laughs> well thanks for listening as always you can find us at i'm the villain pod that's our twitter our gmail and that's our instagram um shout out to you all for requesting hella stickers we like did a sticker run and i think it went well we ended up sending stickers out to like what like 25 people or some shit like that 20 people no it's like way more actually we were almost out like we, we've had more requests since like you know when we were mailing them out and like i think that we literally are going to use up all of them yeah that's cool um yeah so if you are listening and you got a sticker like post it on your instagram put it on your bottle do something um and yeah thanks so much i've i'm having a good time and we're like you know we're gonna come out with more goodies we're gonna put out some more shit you know <laughs> Yeah. Um otherwise bye. <laughs>